Hey everybody, what's up? Sagi here. And before you listen to this episode, I just wanted to let you know that the Hacking UI podcast, while we still have a lot of downloads for our podcast, is a legacy podcast, meaning David and I are not recording any more sessions for the specific podcast. So what you can do right now is, first of all, listen to this episode, and second, know that you can find David on thoughtleaders.io, that's his new business, or you can check out my new podcast, which is called The Creativepreneur Show. And you can just go to creativepreneurmagazine.com or creativepreneur.show. So those are the two domains that you would be able to find my show, my new blog, my new community. And I hope uh, to see you there. Also, be sure to follow David Tintner and Sagi Schreiber on Instagram. We're both on Instagram. I'm also on YouTube. So you can check out the YouTube channel if you want to check out YouTube. Enough with my talking. Oh, my God. So anyways, I hope you guys, though, connect with me and David on the different platforms after this episode. All right. Make sure to do so because we have so much new content for you. And enjoy, guys. Enjoy this episode. Hello, hackers. Thanks a lot for joining us for another episode of the Hacking UI podcast, where we hack our way through design, development, and entrepreneurship. I'm Sagi Schreiber. And I'm David Sittner. This is the second episode of our new season called Scaling a Side Project. And just before we begin, we'd like to quickly thank our incredible sponsors, who without them, this show just wouldn't be possible. This show is brought to you by Envision. Most of you probably already use Envision, but for those of you who don't know, Envision is the world's leading product design collaboration platform. I'm actually a good friend of Clark, the CEO, who's an amazing person. And seeing him run an impactful company like this is very inspiring to me. Envision provides more than 2 million people worldwide with awesome tools that we actually use ourselves on a daily basis to prototype, review, refine, manage, and user test web and mobile products. And now Envision is actually about to launch two new tools. One is called Inspect, which is an amazing tool to improve design handoff to engineering. And the second one is called Motion, which will allow you to create advanced animations. On top of that, Envision is giving away three free months of unlimited prototypes, boards, and mobile user testing. If you just go to hackingui.com slash Envision. We'll have it all in the show notes for you as well. So don't miss out on this opportunity to get three free months of Envision, an amazing product. We use it. We recommend it. The second sponsor for this show today is our very own Side Project Accelerator. It's an eight-week program in which we'll teach you every single thing that we learned while running and scaling Hacking UI from a side project into a full-time business. This includes access to our very own tools and templates that we built for ourselves and are still using today. We'll give you all the details about it at the end of the episode, but be sure to also check it out on our site, HackingUI.com. And if you're interested, you're welcome to sign up for the waiting list for the next batch, which opens in early October. Do not miss out on this one. All right, so let's get into the episode. Warning, warning. Everybody, this episode is a little bit explicit and contains a lot of F-bombs, so if you have sensitive ears, you might want to press the stop button right now. You have been warned. Today's guests have a special line of products. One could even say that they have a fucking special line of products. We've been buying and using their products for a while, and this is actually Sagi's go-to gift for all of his hipster designer friends. These two great guests that we have on the show today are running an absolutely inspiring side project turned full-time business. The business started off selling merchandise for designers a few years ago and absolutely blew up virally. They believe in taking risks and having no fear when it comes to your career. They also practice the commit first, carry out later methodology that we so strongly believe in and practice ourselves. And we'll talk about that in detail in the episode. Now, they give a great fucking design advice through workshops, speaking engagements, and even hinted a potential course in the works. Ladies and gents, it's our pleasure to bring you Brian Burge and Jason Batcher from Good Fucking Design Advice. Let's get hacking! 
Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Hacking UI, the Hacking UI podcast. With me here is David. And with us on the show today are Jason and Brian from Good Fucking Design Advice. What's up, guys? Hey, everyone. Hey, how's it going? Really fucking good to have you guys. It's really fucking good to be here. Yeah, really <laughs> fucking great to be here. So <laughs> <laughs> there's going to be a lot of swear words here in the show, and that's completely fine. I think we're on board for our most explicit episode yet. <laughs> 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 that actually that would have been funny if the show would be like you know a pure english language kind of talk and you know we'll make it all formal and <laughs> but guys we're super super excited to have you here we're actually doing this like david is on the in in the u.s right now so i'm here in israel and you guys are also uh, based in the u.s like in different locations right now so this is a four-way talk and it's kind of interesting uh, and, and where are you guys based actually So our, we're, we're basically located in Brooklyn, New York. That's where our head office is. And then Brian works remotely. At the moment, he's working in Cincinnati. But I think in the next few months, he has plans to move to Pittsburgh to relocate there. Oh, very cool. cool. So uh, we want to really talk to you about like good fucking design advice. I got to say that I am a longtime fan and customer. I bought a few times some of your merchandise. And I also I have an Israeli blog as well. And I have editors there and sometimes when I buy gifts I buy them just gift cards for good fucking design advice because I think that's like the most awesome gift you can give <laughs> a designer so <laughs> I really really love what you're doing uh, super admire everything that you're up to we're seeing a world tour we're seeing workshops we're seeing you know you with like people or you give them the pledge to take the pledge <laughs> and you We wanted to talk to you about about that but before everything like how about you give us a bit about your story like Brian Jason I don't know which one of you would like to maybe even give a bit a bit of background about yourself each one personally Brian why don't you kick it off all right sure so let's see I am originally uh, I'm originally from Pittsburgh I grew up there and ultimately went to college at Kent State University for both undergraduate and graduate and uh, that was uh, ultimately how Jason and I had met the We had Jason was a, a year behind me in undergrad but as things would would play out I took a break between undergrad and graduate school and he went right into graduate school so we ended up becoming close friends through GFDA and starting GFDA as, as we'll talk about in a few minutes here right in that first year of graduate school for the both of us well said my backgrounds the same as Brian's I have an MFA and a BFA in graphic design from Kent State University and Northeast Ohio native not a lot going on in Northeast Ohio but I'll still give it a shout out it was it was pretty much the grad school that Brian and I kind of forged our relationship initially we weren't really friends but GFDA was kind of the beginning of our relationship and, and how we became to not only business partners but but really great friends through the process yeah and how did you get started with good fucking design advice I mean it started as a, as a where you were students right 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 so at the time not only as students but as you know very very young students proctors or, or instructors of, of courses. Brian and I were both teaching at the time. Uh, this at the time was my very first time ever teaching in front of uh, live students. And um, it was quite an experience. I became kind of frustrated very early on with the fact that the students couldn't uh, delineate or differentiate between regular advice, uh, regular curriculum, and, and kind of like the gold nuggets of advice that I was trying to shower on them. I really felt like I was, I, as a first time teacher, instructor this was my chance to really make a difference uh, and that was kind of a very naive standpoint or place to start from and from that position I became very very frustrated with the idea that they couldn't tell the difference between 
great advice and, and just general general learning. Uh, so I took those frustrations to Brian and I said, I, I honestly don't know what's wrong with these students. I, I really think that it, it's them and not me. And over a quick conversation <laughs> with Brian, <laughs> yeah, over a quick conversation with Brian on a walk to get a cup of coffee, we quickly realized that there really wasn't anything out there giving designers advice. And we wanted yeah. to create something that was very simple and very to the point, something that had a feeling of honesty, but we knew that wasn't going to be enough. And the idea of putting profanity in everything just made us laugh. And it was something we found a lot of humor in. And it wasn't something that we took seriously at all. And I think that's kind of been the position we've taken all along that's led us to our success is like, I think a lot of people take their work too seriously. And Brian and I look at the work that people are doing and we quite honestly try to do everything in reverse or, or do it differently. I think this, the stupider are the ideas that we come up with are, the more likely they are to succeed. Brian, you want to chime in on any of that? Yeah, so I had, uh, from my end, I had, you know, Jason came to me with his concerns about teaching and, you know, I had only been teaching for like a semester longer than he had. So he was definitely looking at the, the right person with tons of information about uh, and wisdom about the teaching experience. So yeah, we, as, as Jason mentioned, we, we were on this walk back from getting coffee and we were just chatting about like how we could go about solving this problem. And it wasn't even, I mean, we weren't even serious in the conversation. It wasn't like we had very deliberately decided like, oh, well, you know, let's sit down and figure out this problem. And it was, it was just like conversation and it made us laugh. And uh, as we were on the way back, we were like, well, if we were going to do this website, we were going to give people advice, what would, what would we call it? And then we were like, hmm, good, uh, good, good, good fucking design advice. Oh, let's, let's go back to the studio and see if, uh, let's go back to the studio and see if that's available. Uh, and lo and behold, it was. Nobody else already had that domain. So at that point, we were, uh, I'd say we were in business. Very cool. And- <laughs> So, so the first thing that jumps out to me, okay, so you guys, you know, you had the idea to start this and you said you went with the, the good fucking design advice. And I think uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's blatant. It's in the name, the word, you know, you have fucking in there. So what were you going for with, with using like such colorful language and making such a statement? And how has that kind of driven the business as, as since you've started it? Well, from the, uh, from the get-go, like the, that conversation that we had, we had played up this idea. We thought about different ways that we could deliver advice and you know, the, the, what we came back to as, as a cornerstone to, to that problem is like, okay, well, our students don't pay attention to us in the classroom as it stands. What's going to make them go to a website and look at it? And uh, that was, so we, again, at the time, it was just a joke. It was like, oh, well, let's put some square words in there. But, you know, we, we laughed pretty heartily about it. And, you know, we figured that since we thought it was so funny, other people would yeah. uh, as well. And when we went back to actually execute the site, I mean, we had no intentions of turning it into a business at that point or, or anything other than just a website you could go to and click through and just get 25 to 50 different pieces of advice. And, and that was, you know, the bar that we had set for ourselves right at the outset. Okay, so so at the beginning, this was totally just, I guess, a side project for you guys, huh? Oh yeah, yeah, entirely for the, most, for the most part. Yeah, I mean, there were no business plans. There was no like roadmap. It was literally like, this is funny. Let's build this product and see if we see if anyone else gets a kick out of it. And that was probably all the more we really thought about it. I mean, using profanity is kind of like the hook. That's both what makes us so successful in a way, but also hinders us from getting into other opportunities. I think Brian and I could knit list like twenty different times that. You know, we tried to produce a product where the production facility said no because it has profanity in it. Or we tried to go somewhere and the materials that we've created for the events have to be censored. Or we try to place ads on Facebook or any other social media stream and we get shut down. So the F word is both like uh, an asset and a liability. 
But it is the one thing that the colorful language that really allows us to speak honestly and open about our experiences in this experience of running a side project into a business and everything else that the design community is doing. So how do you guys feel when you're when you're kind of like uh, turned down from something? Because it's such a core part of your, I guess, the business from an outsider's point of view, at least like it's in the domain, it's in all the products, good fucking design advice. And then when you're turned down and, and someone tells you to censor something, is that where do you draw the line? Is that something that you say, like, this is part of our business? No, we're not censoring, we're not doing it. Or it's something that you know, you're just the name and you don't, you don't care so much and you'll conform to the guidelines of the client or of the place you need to, yeah. um, need to work. I think it all depends on what the product or opportunity is. In most cases, if, if we're like banned or turned down from production opportunities or, or other opportunities, we generally think of that as a challenge. We say, well, they're not going to let us do it this way. We're going to find a way in. And that's kind mm-hmm. of been the entertaining part of it. Like, okay, if we can't use the F word, how can we as designers still deliver our experience and work around these limitations. And that's really been like the most fruitful challenge of GFDA. In other cases, you know, if it's something like lower hanging fruit, other something that we're not totally tied to, or we, like we really, really want, oftentimes we'll use our acronym GFDA as a way to get in as a workaround very simply. But generally, I think Brian can agree. We, we like the challenge and uh, it's really led us to be like, you know, to come up with creative workarounds for a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, that uh, that aspect, I think, is, it's hard to say, like, I don't think that we censor ourselves, but we, we do use that as like a creative challenge. I think the only time in which we ever, you know, will directly allow ourselves to be censored is if we're doing like a speaking engagement or something like that. And it's at a university and they're not allowed to put up posters to advertise the event that has profanity on it. So, you know, we'll provide some sort of workaround or the students will develop something, you know, we don't, um, we don't want to take away the experience and the opportunity for us to come out and speak somewhere just because a handful of people are, you know, skittish about bad words. Right. I think our Brian and I, Mm -hmm. our story is unique enough that uh, in those cases, we're willing to to kind of forego our brand to be able to deliver our story because we feel like we have something to share and a story that's worth hearing. And, And in those cases, it's like, whatever, we'll do whatever we can to get there to be able to to share what we've learned so that other people can benefit from it. And I think that's also been kind of a core part of our brand all along. It's like, as long as people want GFDA, as long as they find entertainment and enjoyment and inspiration, and they learn something from what we're creating and the opportunities that we're, we're kind of diving into, then we're going to continue to kind of build the product and see where it goes. Cool. And you can ask like, what, what's your, most of your talks about when you go to schools and when you go to preach to the younger generation. Yeah, preach is kind of a funny word, uh, <laughs> especially with so much profanity. I think generally our, our message is pretty simple. We like to go and share the story, uh, sometimes briefly, sometimes in a long form. But uh, we, we definitely try to focus on a few of our key failures and some of the biggest things that we faced when we started. Uh, and a lot of that was centered around the fact that we launched as a website and quickly became a business and the trials and tribulations of trying to start that business and get the product in the hands of our customers and kind of all the problems that we face along the way. As an example to our audience that, you know, with every challenge, there are things that you're going to face that are unexpected. There are all kinds of unforeseen obstacles in the path to whatever it is you're trying to achieve. And as long as you have the tenacity and the will to continue, you know, moving a product forward, you'll find success. And I think that's that's loosely what our message is about. And then we sprinkle some <laughs> profanity in there. Sometimes people bring a six-pack. To keep it exciting. Yeah, it can get pretty rowdy at times. Brian? Yeah, we got some bad jokes that we we stick in there and everything. And, and just sort of piggybacking on what Jason was saying, we, uh, 
you know, like the, the lesson overall is also that we have no idea what we're doing, but we go out and we do it anyways. And we learn from that experience. And then we move on to the next thing. And we have no idea what we're doing with that next thing. And we learn from that experience. And so it's this continual, you know, it's, it's, uh, I want to get philosophical about it. It's like lifelong learning. It's like, okay, well, you know, we could stay here in this comfort zone and maybe that will last for a little while, but ultimately we need to change. We need to adapt. We need to grow. We need to learn. And the best way to do that is to like, just take the risk and say like, okay, well, let's expand into this and see where this takes us and make those mistakes there and see what sort of failed experiments and what we can learn from that to move into the next phase of GFDA. Right. I think one thing that Brian kind of, we kind of glossed over was we started GFDA with $14.45. That was the total startup costs. And, we, and we've grown it into a business that has supported both Brian and I and a number of people for the, for the last six years. Uh, we're coming up on our sixth, sixth year anniversary here. Amazing. Congrats. Thank you. We really appreciate that. It's been an, an interesting ride to say the least. But I think we sometimes have to remind ourselves that we got into this without expecting to have a business. And now that we have a business, it's still important that we tie ourselves to that core idea of like, we only exist because we use profanity and people found that interesting. They found that risky. And if we don't continue to portray ourselves in that way, if we don't continue to take risks and kind of play this side project out by taking uncomfortable choices, then we, then we risk putting ourselves in a position of just being everything else on the internet. And that's exactly what we don't want to become. So, Brian kind of hit the nail on the head with this idea. We always try to f- take the things that we're most comfortable with and shake them up and, and put ourselves in a position of like, oh, shit, you know, like <laughs> we have a lot of learning to do. So I think learning on the job could be our trademark slogan. <laughs> Amazing. And I think Devin and I can really relate to that, right, D? Yeah, I wanted to say it sounds a lot like uh, Sagi has this uh, phrase he likes to say a lot is, it, you know, commit first and execute later. And we constantly find ourselves, you know, committing to yeah. all sorts of things because, you know, you just got to sometimes jump in and do it like you guys said. And then figuring out and learning on the way about how we're actually supposed to do the thing. <laughs> yeah. So you guys have the, this pledge on the website that actually that seems like it really says exactly what you're talking about. Can you can you talk about that pledge a little bit and kind of you know where that came from and that idea? Brian, you want to take that one? Sure. So the a quick little background snippet that led us to the pledge. So we had started the business. We had initially come out with t-shirts and posters, and then from there, our next product was coffee mugs. And around, I don't know, it was maybe like a year, year and a half mark, we had started getting a lot of feedback from social media. We were like, we were sort of like surprised because, you know, sales were so, so it wasn't like a major business thing. We were in graduate school. So it was, it was very like, it was what we did from 9 p.m. until, you know, midnight, one, two, three o'clock in the morning, basically until question mark, whenever the work was done. And so, you know, we, we hit a point where we were like, hmm. I'm not sure if this is, should we keep doing this? Are we ruining our reputation? You know, we're not making a ton of money this. It's a, it's a little supplemental thing, but, you know, it's it's eating up a lot of time. And, you know, we've got important responsibilities. We're supposed to be teaching classes, writing our graduate thesis, all of that stuff. And we were also freelancing at the time independently. And, uh, you know, so just a lot of things going on. And we had decided that we were going to, um, mainly because of the, the positive social media response, you know, going back and looking through Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and, and how excited people were. And, you know, we would get uh, occasional email messages from folks that were like, oh, I, you know, finished graduate school because of you guys or I quit my job. And, you know, so all of this like really positive response uh, about what we were doing. And so that feedback from our community was really what propelled us to, to continue moving forward. And so looking at that feedback, we thought, well, 
you know, we've got all these products and people like take photos of it. It would be great if we could come up with some sort of way in which we could collaborate with our audience in a, in a more direct way and something where they could take ownership of both themselves and our brand at the same time. Um, and so Jason and I had had this loose conversation about coming up with some kind of product that could do that. And I mean, we, we like bounced ideas back and forth for probably three or four months just on this general idea, like what could that be? And then along with the help of a, of a friend of ours, Jason Richberg, in the course of like, I don't know, it was maybe a weekend, the idea of the pledge came up. And, and so he helped us to pen that and, and really get it down to a, a, the specific language that it is today. Um, in fact, I would say he probably did the majority of the writing anyways. So that was that was very much like the the idea to like, oh, okay, well, we could have this thing. We can offer it for free on the website. You know, it's just a downloadable PDF. And, you know, people can sign it, put their name on it, and then post it to the website and really like put themselves out there for the world to see. You know, you know for us, it was also like a great risk because it was like we built this whole thing. We had this pledge written. We designed the page. And then we wanted people to contribute and post a picture of themselves with this pledge that, oh, no, has profanity on it on the internet and, and like make it public. And so for us, that was also like, uh, I wonder if anybody's going to do this. I wonder if anybody's going to contribute or are we just going to kind of look like horses asses with us being the only two people of photos underneath. And, you know, it took a little bit of time to get moving, but you know, as you can visit the, the site right now, well, actually the pledge page is under a little bit of construction because Instagram changed their uh, API. But I mean, we've got hundreds and hundreds of people that have submitted and uploaded and, you know, all sorts of things. And, you know, you can look for hashtags all over the internet and you can find people that have filled it out. And so, you know, it took off in, in a very good way. Yeah, the pledge was our way of saying, like, why should we be the only ones having fun? And of course, we didn't want to be the only ones swearing at the party. So, you know, we wanted to invite the whole internet to party along with us. And that was the way that we did it. Pledge was, like Brian said, when we first posted our photos, boy, it was quite uncomfortable. It was like a, a whole week of like, crickets and just photo of Brian and I holding our pledge. But slowly the internet kind of responded and, and, and it's filled out. And it's been one of those products that I guess gets talked about more than almost anything we've done next to the classic advice poster. And it's certainly something that brings a lot of people together. We've seen it translated into a number of languages, passed along to a number of events and, and brought to life in places we would never have expected. So it's been another fun product and an experiment of ours that's kind of worked in our favor. Wow, that's amazing. And, and I got to say, like, the pledge itself is, is beautiful. Do one of you want to read it? Because I think the listeners really should hear this. I mean, this is an excellent pledge, not just for designers, really, but just a way for people to live their life, I think, for almost any industry, this this uh, holds true. Brian, you want to give it a go? Oh, I was going to say, you have a more sultry voice than me. Are <laughs> uh, you going to pass it along to me? Uh, sure, I'm, I'll pass in the buck, my friend. All right. I won't. Uh, I'll use blank in place of my name. <laughs> I blank hereby swear to abandon all fear. To question everything, to trust in myself, to honor those before me as I excel, and to support those who follow as they ascend. I swear that I will never accept another standard for success, as I set mine one measure higher. When I am finished, no one will ever fucking look at blank the same way again. Pretty simple, that's it. This is really awesome. I, I really, really like this. Sagi, have you taken your picture yet on Instagram? After this call, I'm doing mine. I will do mine. I actually haven't, and I feel bad about it because I saw the pledge before, and I actually didn't. And I talked to my, to my designers back then, similar web about us doing that and taking the pictures, and we haven't yet. And I'm not in similar web. Oh anymore. man! Well, this interview is over then. <laughs> yeah, I gotta go. I gotta go. Uh, so I, I guess I fucking procrastinated on this. 
So <laughs> you did. You did. Um, Wrong use of brand there. <laughs> anyway, you know, this, this pledge is amazing. And you say it took off. And I can't help but wonder, you said the community kind of like took it and adopted it. But the community, how did it come to be? Uh, because did you write blog posts? Did you put out content in any way besides those? I mean, how did you spread the word and get people to like, how did you get a community around? And I, I guess the students were a part of it, like the, the, that you taught. But right. like, were they the core and then it's word of mouth? Or how did you get a community around yourself, around this brand? Good fucking design brand. A little bit of everything. When we started, obviously, this was a very small operation, just Brian and I. We launched the product. We worked on it from 8 to 5 p.m. one solid day, and we put it out on the internet. And we just shared it with our friends on Facebook, and that was kind of like the basis. Brian and I weren't very active in social media, so we didn't have like a large following to begin with. In fact, we were starting from the standpoint of anyone else trying to launch a website. I think we struck at a time when it was just part luck and, and part need. People wanted something to laugh at. And I think they at first didn't believe that we were very serious in taking this on. And we really weren't. And I think that was kind of what led us to our success and has continued to lead us is this idea that we're not taking this very seriously. But at the same time, we are. But yeah, we shared it with our collective friends on Facebook. Uh, I think by the close of the first month, we had 3.1 million page views. So I don't know, by the third day, wow. 70,000 people had shown up. It was crazy. And I think I can't really think of anything else. There was a lot of a lot of people sharing it within our own program. Uh, and Brian and I didn't admit to having built it, except that our names were on the bottom of the website. So we would go to class classes that we were teaching and people would have it as their desktop wallpaper with no idea that Brian and I were the ones who had made it. People were sharing it in their agencies in the larger cities or around the country, around the world. And then they would email it to us. Our friends would email it to us and say, hey, have you seen this? We were like, hey, we made this <laughs> kind of situation. Yeah, there was um, a fun period of like just sort of not, uh, not acknowledging it. Like, oh, that's really interesting. Uh, you know, that, that only lasted for a few weeks. But then it was like, oh, okay, this is you guys. But it was fun while it lasted. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know, I don't know really what the, why the rapid growth occurred. But more or less, we shared it with as many people as we could. We even created a PDF flyer when we first launched that had little tearaway tabs and it was very generic on purpose. And we put this product out there for free. People could download it off our website. And Brian and I like really honestly believed that nobody was going to hang this up. And people were sending us email photos of this at their colleges or universities or offices where they had hung it on the <laughs> bulletin board with all of their other crap. And it was really like, wow, there wasn't anything that Brian and I were putting out there that people weren't taking a hold of. It was both exhilarating and scary as hell at the same time because you realize like you know there was a shit ton of traffic going through your website every day and you were on the spotlight in a way and in that sense it was very nerve-wracking but also exhilarating probably the greatest high we'll ever have as far as internet success is concerned amazing wow that's amazing is, and yeah. and complete, <laughs> completely viral huh no no yeah. paid advertising or anything like that no, no, and, um, no. Uh, you know, it, at the time, we, we didn't even think of it. But but in the years since, I mean, we've attempted to do various paid advertising through Google or Facebook or whatever. But because of the profanity, every time we've tried in any variation permutation, we've tried, we're always denied. So everything that we do has had to be viral in some capacity, like we have no, we have no ins anywhere, nothing special. So that's, uh, that's sort of one of the creative challenges for us is how do we continue to reinvent ourselves? How do we continue to create contents and products and experiences that, that are worth sharing and are interesting and are, are funny? So yeah. Yeah, entirely organic. 
Yeah, so like one of the ways that we do that, since we can't obviously have paid advertising or use the traditional means of, of getting traffic to our site is by creating services. Like we recently launched a Slack app for teams and individuals who are using the Slack product. Now they can get GFDA right in that service. So they can be, you know, being sworn at all day long. It's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> we launched lorumfuckingipsum.com, which was a website that basically is just a, a, a Greeking text generator that is full of profanity and, and, mm-hmm. uh, an inspirational message that Brian kind of cryptically put in there. It's like those kind of products that we create that continue to drive people to our website. And that's the way that we work around the fact and the challenge of not being able to place our product in the traditional streams of, of advertising and marketing. So. so it's basically side projects on your side project, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. We're stacking side projects, you know. Inception. <laughs> uh, you know, David and I have a term for that, though. It's called uh, audience-driven product development. Oh. Huh. We're going to borrow that term. So, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I'm writing it down as we uh, are typing it yeah. as, we, as we talk here. So I want to ask you guys about, okay, about like the, the business itself. So we have this picture of exactly what you're doing, kind of how it started. And I go on, I see on the website today, you know, you have tons of products, right? But how did it really start? What was the first, like the first couple of products? And when did you decide to, to grow it and have, you know, all sorts of different things for sale? So products really started with what we knew we could do in-house. And by that, I mean like we were in a small studio. Silkscreen printing was like the very most generic thing you could start with. And of course, it was the cheapest to get involved in. So we launched the classic advice poster first. That was the very first thing we put out in the world. Uh, At the same time that we announced that product coming out for pre-sale, we also launched our line of t-shirts, which has changed over the years. But the original line of t-shirts, I believe there were only two, three styles, Brian? Uh, yeah, I think it was, it was three. It was the black shirts with the, the white lettering. Yeah. So we launched those and that was a series of, of trials for us. I mean, we had a lot of production issues. We were trying to do it on the cheap and we were doing it on a extremely tight timeline. In addition to that, we also had sold everything pre-sale. So we knew that we had to deliver this product to our customers. The pre-sale went for about two weeks and generated about $10,000 of get up money. So we used that to continue to think about our product, continue to build inventory, after we launched the, the t-shirt and the poster and we started to get those really figured out, Brian and I were having coffee one day laughing about probably how stupid this idea was. And over that conversation, we said, we should just create coffee cups. We, we drink coffee every day. Why don't we drink it out of our own coffee cup? You know, it's kind of like, so, I mean, so basically that led us to create a line of drinkware and we've continued to kind of change that and, and improve upon that product as it's been around. But those are the three core products that we really got started with. We started selling product about uh, a month or a month and a half after we had been out. Uh, we launched in September. It was like October, November by the time we started putting product in, into the internet. And um, really the, the product came to life because people emailed us and asked us where the product was. And we were like, well, we're not a store. And then after a while, we were kind of like, how do we answer all these emails? Well, we just answered them with action. We just, you know, we give them what they want. So that's what we've been doing ever since. Yeah. And so we, we ran the, the, the GFDA through graduate school as very much as, you know, we've been saying as, as a side project. And then it was, uh, it, we wrapped up graduate school and we had decided that we were going to make it our full-time efforts. And that was in 2013. So we've basically been at this as like, this is the, the main means for us to generate our income and support ourselves and everything for about three years now. And so that was the point at which we really ramped up everything. We had like a major redesign of the website. We switched to Shopify as our uh, e-commerce provider. We changed how we handled shipping. I mean, we really just upgraded and then we've continued to 
push forward uh, ever since then. So at this point, we no longer do our own order fulfillments. Uh, we have a fulfillment center called uh, JM Field Marketing, which is down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh, we've been working with them for about a year and a half now. So they handle the logistical end of our business, which has been great and helped to free us up to expand and do other things. So you know now we can do a little bit of design as opposed to packing boxes all the time. All right, cool. So how much did you guys need to, if you don't mind answering, how much did you need to invest in the beginning? Because in the beginning, you needed to, I guess, buy some inventory in order to fulfill orders and stuff, right? Well, you would think so. You would think so. So we invested nothing. We built the site, we bought the domains, and then when it came time to build product, we basically launched on Big Cartel. This was the early days of Big Cartel, so it was kind of a mess. It was very difficult to code. We tried to build the store in one night. That was a total disaster. And part of our plan... After talking to some friends, we realized that pre-sale was the only way to prove the product. So we launched basically uh, pixels and math. They were just photos of what the product would look like. They were very convincing photos. I mean, we spent a lot of time editing them and making them feel real as opposed to a lot of the stuff you see generated on the web today. And we put those product out there as if it was like already existing. So we didn't invest anything initially into actually building any prototypes other than our time. And then once we launched the pre-sale, it ran for two weeks, I believe. And then after that, we, we had the money in the bank, we turned around and turned on, you know, really turned on the gas to get the products produced and, and out to our customers on time. And we did deliver on time, which was part of the reason why we, you know, pulled all of our hair out. And part of the reason why Brian's still bald. <laughs> yeah, mine never grew back. That's <laughs> Brian's hair never grew back. Brian sometimes says, uh, there's no greater way to ruin your career than to promise a product full of profanity, and then also put your name on it. The first few products that we produced had our names on on everything. And we were so nervous that it was going to bomb because of all the issues that we had. And then the worst case, the worst problem was that we had put like Brian Birch and Jason Bacher on every single product. So even after people had a terrible experience, they'd know who to call and who to blame. <laughs> so it was, it was really kind of frightening. Cool. And so first of all, you guys did another like with this pre-sale. It's another commit first, carry out later approach, which is great. And, you know, it, it, also with all the people that we kind of like uh, interview on the show and we talk to that have like cool things going on, it's like a, a repeating pattern. It's interesting to see that most of the people or the successful people, they really do that. They commit first, carry out later, they get out of the comfort zone and they have a bit of fear every time that they reinvent themselves. And that's something that you guys basically just told us right now, like without us even like telling you this. And it's amazing to hear. The commit first, carry it later. Yeah. And uh, by the way, I just want to say, again, going back to that pledge you guys have, that the first line is, I hereby swear to abandon all fear. So, Sigi, you're absolutely right. It's this like repeating pattern we hear with successful entrepreneurs, especially with side projects, that they're just jumping in, doing things and, and have this like belief in themselves that they'll be able to carry it out and execute it. And it seems like it's exactly what you guys did. Yeah, you, you almost have to have some kind of delusional mindset. You know, you have to, you have to really, <laughs> I, I think artists have that very much so because they very much believe in the work that they're creating, despite what other people are saying, critics or otherwise. And to be a great entrepreneur, you have to really dive in and believe in your product and understand that like, despite people's opinions and, and comments on what you're doing and, and whether it'll be successful or not, none of that matters at the end of the day, if you're willing to put the time in and do the work. And quite honestly, Brian and I, now that you've brought up this commit first, execute later approach, like I, I'm thinking through every product we've ever created, even the tour that we went on, we bought the van before we booked the, booked the events. I think there's no greater way to kind of cement yourself <laughs> into, a, into a chance, into an opportunity than to like wholeheartedly buy into it and put yourself in a position of like sink or swim. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And so I want to get into the like really the core kind of like a uh, business that you guys are up to right now. 
and, and get some practical tips for the people that are hearing this podcast right now. I bet a lot of designers want to create their own kind of like poster line or like, you know, uh, their whole, whole like the swag going on. So do you have any practical tips for the people that want to do this right now? Like, how can they start? Like in terms of platforms, in terms of techniques, how to like get themselves like, I mean, the pre-sale is one, I guess, but like really like actionable things that they can do right now to just like start it off. Yeah, I think one of the best things they can do is start small. A lot of people trying to sell their swag run into the issue of overhead. You know, that's always kind of a concern is like how much money is going out versus how much money is going in. And if your product isn't instantaneously successful and doesn't blow up the internet, then chances are you're going to be selling very few early on in your process. So it's important to keep like the cost. If you can find some of the lower accounts on Big Cartel or Shopify or even like Gumroad, there are a few products out there now that are starting to, to kind of get into the market, Ticktails, even one, that allow you to like sell your product for almost nothing. I think you can even embed PayPal buy buttons. So that's one of the key things is, is keep your overhead down and produce the product in minimum quantities. I mean, you don't want to sit on like a hundred of something. You know, swag is a great insulator for your home, but uh, it can be pretty depressing when it's sitting there staring at you and not flying off the shelves. Uh, one of the other things I think is important for, for young people or young designers trying to go out and sell their product, trying to make a living or, or trying to create a supplemental income is to really get their finances in shape, keep that very well organized. Uh, using a product like Bench or QuickBooks, or I don't, I don't really recommend QuickBooks, but but Bench is a better product. Anything out there to really help you organize your finances and keep it straight. You know, Brian, do you have any any thoughts? Yeah, well, just on that general topic of of being organized, I think it's for us because we're constantly, you know, we're constantly evolving and we're we're like changing emphasis and everything. But but the idea of organization and and sort of like project management, dare I say, you know, especially in a small, like, you know, it's basically me and Jason, and we've got uh, various people that collaborate with us uh, here and there these days, but trying to stay organized and trying to stay on top of, of things and, you know, creating to-do lists. I mean, it seems so cliche and so simple, but it's, you know, like, for at least for me, like, I can definitely tell as we get really good at something, we tend to get very organized at it. And then as we start into something else, it's it's sort of like, the, this idiot moment, like we start into something new and we have nothing organized and then it gets really frustrating. And at some point we're like, oh, let's organize this. And then it just flows very smoothly. So, you know, that, that aspect of organization and planning, I think is really, really key. All right. Great. And about like, let's talk about what you guys are having like right now going on uh, in terms of maybe you can share with us where your income as of today is coming from. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So right now our income generally comes from two things, products, and public engagements and public engagements covers both speaking going out publicly and sharing our story and teaching workshops right now brian and i are teaching a workshop called the art of risk taking that's kind of our, our core workshop offering at the moment uh, it's basically six to ten different exercises that help people understand how important it is to not only know the rules but how to break them and how to maneuver around and be agile in situations solving challenges working together as a team and collaborating to solve bigger problems um, we've been sharing that with a few different audiences. One of those is Nike. We've been lucky enough to go there and, and share kind of our workshop with them. We'll be going back very soon. And, and interestingly enough, the pledge is a product that brought them to our workshop. And that's kind of touches back on this idea of audience-driven product development. But that's pretty much the, the, the public speaking, very simple, mostly our story. Oftentimes, we'll go and speak to, to universities, uh, startups will have us out, uh, AIGA chapters, AAF chapters. Any design organization really pretty well suited in those audiences. And then, and then retail products, which quite honestly isn't always 
isn't always generating profit. Brian and I like the Slack app we just created. That's a product that we offer to our audience for free, mostly free. And that's something that we built. We invested some time in. We were lucky enough to partner with some people in San Francisco, and they put the time in to build the product. And we worked with them to design something for our audience. And ultimately, it's like an investment of time and money, but ultimately give away the best thing we have. And that's our advice. So the advice is kind of our greatest export. Everything else is is just there to support the fact that we need to stay on the internet uh, and stay vibrant. <laughs> cool. How did I do, Brian? Oh, I think you you nailed it. I don't I don't have anything uh, to add to that. That's, a, that's <laughs> my thoughts exactly. Well done. Put a fork in it. So you guys got the workshops going on and you got the merchandise going on. How do how do you say with the split in your income right now? Is like fifty fifty or? Brian. Let's see. Uh, I'd say 60-40. We would probably do about 60% yeah. retail, 40% workshops, and public speaking events. Cool. You know, it's obviously, to be out in the public, it, it takes a lot of time to travel and to be in all of those places. The best part about having an online retail is that it's open 24 hours a day. We get orders, you know, no matter what time of day and night it is, people are, can always visit the store. They can always buy the product. But, yeah. Yeah. So, so on, on top of that, I wanted to ask, like, why don't you do an online course? Yeah, you know, that's something we've actually recently surveyed our audience about. Brian and I have kind of mixed feelings about what online courses are like and how we can basically say fuck that to the current experience and, and make it something of our own. We haven't quite figured out what that answer is to like, what is the GFDA version of an online course versus instead of just making the online course that everyone expects us to make. So we've kind of been throwing around what that looks like, what that tastes like. So uh, we haven't quite nailed it yet. But Brian, do you have any comments on that? Yeah, so uh, one of the things that we're doing coming up here, probably going to be launching in January, is a collaboration with TypeEd, and it's it's a fairly simple thing. It's it's going to be an email course that people can sign up for with just uh, a series of email blasts that go out over the course of like two or three weeks. I, we haven't determined the exact length at this point, but it'll like just it's uh, an introduction to typography and it'll have a GFDA twist. But you know that's very much uh, our perspective on that. Is it's it's sort of a, a miniature prototype for us looking into online learning and how we can do some sort of online course that ultimately will be bigger and more dynamic. But, you know, it's, it's sort of testing the waters and seeing what that experience is like to develop the content and, you know, do the writing for it and, and sequence it and everything else. Very cool. And anything else you guys have on the horizon? Like what's, what's the kind of, do you have a roadmap or do you have, you know, what's like the direction that good fucking design device is going to take uh, from here on out? You know, I don't. I wouldn't say we have a roadmap. I think that would be too predictable. But Brian and I definitely are always exploring new opportunities, new products. We have a, obviously with a retail brand, we sell a lot of prints and, and drinkware and everything like that. So for the holiday season, we have a, a series of prints coming out that I think people are really going to enjoy. Help them spruce up that terrible looking dorm or that terrible cubicle that they find themselves stuck in every day. In addition to that, obviously we've been putting our feelers out and our surveys to our audience to really get a, a feel for what they want. And I believe there is some kind of course or workshop offering that's going to tailor that coming up down the road. Brian mentioned the collaboration with TypeEd happening. And we've also been tossing around the idea of, you know, a lot of designers participate in these uh, design competitions, design annuals, design award, I don't know, print magazine, communication arts annual. We've been kind of tossing around the idea of what it would be like to kind of disrupt that. Cool. And and change what that model is like by doing it ourselves. By doing it ourselves, doing it our own way. So very cool. That's for the most part what we have on the horizon. Sounds great. So I love that you guys have like the you have you know multiple revenue channels and all sorts of, of different ways that you're making income and kind of. But the the thing that kind of stands out to me 
is that with the two very different types, it seems like the uh, merchandise is, is more or less passive, if you will, and the workshops are very much uh, like hands-on and, and take a lot of time. Is that correct? Or what's kind of the time breakdown between these types of things that you have going on? Uh, well, so the uh, we've done workshops in the past that have been geared towards students and young professionals. Most of those we did at universities um, with graduate students, undergraduates, whatever. And those would typically be like a, a weekend experience. So we would come out and we would do like Friday night, all day Saturday, and then like maybe Sunday morning, depending on what the time constraints were from them. And then uh, what we've been doing recently with the risk-taking workshop, that's more of a, of a corporate offering. And that the way that we've developed that is to be very scalable. So that's something that we could do in like two to three hours, or it could be like a full day experience. And that's that's largely based upon, you know, what sort of time frame the audience that we're presenting to has. And of course, speaking engagements, we, we've flexible with those anywhere from like 20 minutes to an hour and a half, again, depending on where we're at, who we're speaking to what the people are with like what they want out of our talk. So yeah, I would say that, you know, in, in comparing to the, like the more uh, passive income, as far as our products, you know, one of the ways we've been looking at that lately, uh, that, that for the longest time, that has been our primary means of generating revenue. But as we're transitioning into some more of these like workshop and speaking offerings, sort of a, a lot of people are finding us through the product. So our thinking is shifting a little bit to like, okay, well, if we're going to make more of our revenue from these workshops, then perhaps the products then become a means of marketing that ultimately pays for itself and maybe adds some additional money into the pot, especially because we can't do traditional marketing means anyways. Mm -hmm. It's it's amazing. It's kind of like, uh, you know, Sagi and I both very much believe in, like, again, building that audience and then finding ways to monetize it afterwards. And But the amazing thing about you guys is that you it seems like you're able to build that audience with a paid product, actually. You know, we talk about offering the audience value and giving them something, a lot of times giving them something for free. And, you, you know, you, you do have things on the website for free, but, it's not, but it seems like the core product is so good that even though it's paid, that that's what's building your audience. And that's incredible. Yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with the messaging, too. I mean, kind of the fact that we've woven this language of kind of discipline and working hard and all the things necessary to really be successful into all of our products. And I think that's one of the reasons why people reach into their pockets to, to buy that because they want to associate with that language. They want it to be a part of their workplace or, or part of their mantra. And we kind of embody that for them and we give them a voice. And who doesn't want that? I mean, Brian and I want that. So, Right, right. And I, want, I just because Jason mentioned it, I just sort of wanted to piggyback on it. Um, I think one of the things that really differentiates us from other similar direct or indirect competitors that offer like posters that have advice and so forth is a lot of people are focused on like an inspiration or motivation centric attitude. And uh, it took us a while to sort of arrive at this. You know, we, we spent a lot of time in the last six to nine months really trying to clarify who we are and what we're doing. And uh, one of the things that came out of that for us and one of the things that we found that differentiated us is our perspective on it, although, yeah, you could say we have the inspiration, motivation market, but ours is very discipline-oriented, and I think that's why it hits uh, a chord with, with people outside of just the, the use of profanity and, and everything else. But that, that idea of discipline to commit to your creative projects and to be passionate about things, I think it's really important. And I think you know motivation goes away, inspiration goes away, but if you can cultivate discipline then even when you don't feel like doing the work, you'll still show up, you'll do the work, and your future self will thank you for it. So it seems like you guys should be called mm -hmm. good fucking life advice. 
or a good fucking creative advice. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny how many times people offer, you know, we get this, you guys should be good fucking homeowners advice. You guys should be good fucking relationship <laughs> advice or business advice. Or yeah, we get all of these different offshoots. And at the end of the day, we say great design is universal. <laughs> and this advice applies to everything. So, yeah, we are, we are good fucking life advice as well as design advice. But yeah. Um, yeah, yeah no, it's amazing. Uh, I just want to share with you that, you know, David and I, you know, he's a developer and I'm a designer and we are writing about design development. But when we left our day jobs, the first thing that we kind of like out of like two speaking gigs that we had going on and then we understood like we talked about our side project and then we got kind of like the vibe of the people just coming to us rushing and like, oh my God, that was so inspiring. We, we got to learn more and stuff like that. So when we left our day jobs, we said the first thing we're going to do is launched the side project accelerator and that's what we did and that's what we're doing today that's like our main thing yeah. that we're doing today and it's not even related to design and development but you know it's a thing that once you figure out you can help people live their life better like the creatives live their like reach their full potential then it's like you know the the main thing that you're really helping people in their lives like fulfill themselves it's like the real impact so we we, we can't really connect to what you are doing and we really appreciate that so Last question that I have, uh, and then David has one last question of his own. So mine is, do you have any tips? Like I asked before tips for people who want to like start their own merchandise going on. So tips for people like professionals that want to start their own workshops, because you guys ran a few, I guess you got some war stories to tell and some like lessons learned. Oh yeah, we have lots of lessons learned. Brian, do you have any tips for people who want to launch <laughs> their own workshops? This is interesting because nobody has asked this question before. So I actually really have to think about this one. Uh, I mean, certainly lots of things that we've learned along the way. That is, that is actually it. So, you know, just like we talked about creating our products and, you know, the first round of creating products was filled with like miserable failures and, and things like that. You know, I can't say that we've done a workshop that's been a miserable failure, but in the process of doing the workshop, there are definitely things that Jason and I, you know, have sort of have this nonverbal communication like, oh, man that didn't go so well. Like, let's keep that in mind next time we get to do this um, and and make sure that we improve upon it. One of the benefits that I think that he and I have is that we, had, because of graduate school, we spent a lot of time teaching in a classroom before we started doing workshops. So we had a lot of experience working with groups of people. And uh, in fact, one of the things that we did was uh, early on before we even started speaking, sort of in anticipation of being able to speak and maybe do workshops one day, is uh, we, we team taught uh, a class so that we could learn to read each other really well. Uh, and that served us in a, in a lot of capacities, not only just workshops and speaking, but um, when we were doing more client and consulting work, you know, we could be in a meeting and barely even have to look at the other person to know like, okay, this is the point at which I need to step in and, you know, like I can carry this conversation. Maybe I'm a better fit with this client or the way in which Jason's communicating is, is getting across to the audience better. So I'll just shut up and let him do his thing. So that ability to have a partner and being able to read what the other person is saying has been really invaluable for us. Yeah, I think knowing when to shut up is a great tip for anyone trying to become a better leader. It's like sometimes you have to get out of the way of the person with the most momentum to let them do what they're supposed to do instead of kind of becoming a barrier or roadblock for them. A piece of advice for someone trying to launch the workshop for the first time is when it's all over, after the first one's gone through, take some time to reflect on the experience that you've had, both personally and and the experience you believe the audience has had. Uh, There are a lot of ways to gauge that, but the best is really to take some time and ask yourself a few questions about what the experience was like, what did you get out of it, 
How did you think they perceived it? And what, what you could do to improve it down the road? And I think it seems like a very common sense, simple exercise, but just taking the time 10, 20 minutes to review what experience you've just gone through is going to help to inform future opportunities for you. And it's going to basically help you generate a lot of value for, for your audience. And the other tip I have, and I'll keep it short, is a lot of people don't know what they should be teaching. I think if the core of your content isn't something that you're interested in in yourself or something that you would like to take, a workshop that you would like to take, then it's not the right, it's not the right curriculum. It's not the right content for you. And ultimately, I think we all have something that we could teach other people. So if you're thinking of what could that content be or what shape could that take, look at the things that you do every day that you're very good at. Like not just your capabilities, what are your gifts? What are the things that you know, you really feel like you bring something to the table. Those are the things that you should be teaching in workshops. So Awesome. Those are great tips. Well, uh, if I can summarize, just like, so we got about, if you have a partner in your workshops, just work together as partners in the best way you can. If you have a partner, know when to get out of the way and let the other person, like, kind of take on, so know how to work together. The other one. And summarizing what you've what you've just done, that was a really nice tip that I like. That actually to synthesize what happened and kind of take it all in. I think that's important. Yeah. I'm working with working with two people, whether it's giving a lecture, running a workshop, and making it work very fluid is like trying to learn how to dance. And Brian and I have, you know, two right feet. We have no rhythm and no soul. So it took us a long time to to really like learn the behavioral patterns <laughs> and and kind of the unspoken things that we share when we're in a room together. And we've made that dance work out very well. I think Brian and I give and deliver one of the best two-man design lectures in, in the world that I've, I've ever heard. It's a tough thing to do, but it can be done. It just takes a lot of practice and time. And, you know, if you don't recognize that, I think you'll, you'll feel defeated all the time. And, and you and your partner will struggle through that experience. But Yeah, that's, those are great tips you get for working with a partner. And just real fast, you mentioned you took a class, actually, to learn to read each other. Yeah. What, what class was that or what was Uh No. Very early on, Brian and I taught a typography course. You know, we, we were always like twisting the arm of our university to see what we could get out of them. <laughs> and Brian and I thought it would be interesting, like, well, what if we taught a course together? Oh, it would just okay. make things mm -hmm. easier for each other. So in those kind of courses, you know, the students hang up all their work and there's always this moment of silence. And like oftentimes, if you didn't know what to say to that student, maybe their work was just absolutely awful. You, you would take a moment and... and Brian and I would kind of read each other's body language and know when to chime in. And it was kind of through that experience of, of giving criticism, critique, all of those experiences that kind of led us to be the duo that we are and be able to read each other without having to open our mouths or look at each other. Awesome. And, and on the website, I see that you guys have a good cop and bad cop listed under each other's names. So I think it's you not only learn to read each other, but like to define roles as, as funny as it sounds. Like I know Sagi and I can really relate to that, that it's important to define roles and really build that partnership out correctly and define it. Yeah, you have to understand what you're good at and what you're not good at. And oftentimes, designers are, are unwilling to let go of the things that they're not good at. It's like a pride or an ego thing. But let other people take care of it. You'll be surprised when you put your trust in your partner to, to follow through on the work. And they're going to do a great job. And, and you'll probably end up in the long run, it'll turn out better than you would have done it yourself. But it takes time to learn that and to, to get used to that experience. Great, cool. great tip. So last question I, I have for you guys is, first of all, who are you reading or listening to or who are you getting your good fucking advice from? Mm, good question. Brian, you want to you wanna start this one? Sure. So I think first off, in the design community, Jason and I have been really influenced by James Victoria. He's a very well-known and established designer, did a lot of amazing work that's in the, the MoMA through the 90s and through the 2000s. And you know he himself is at a point where he's doing a lot of 
teaching and educating in, in various ways. And, you know, we happened to cross him a number of years ago. And then when Jason moved to Brooklyn uh, about two years ago, then he and James developed a really great relationship. I, if you want to talk about that, Jason, I'll, I'll let you do that. Oh, you're doing well. Keep going. So anyway, so uh, he's been a, a huge influence uh, on us. And, you know, we've had the opportunity to, uh, to speak with him uh, last fall in Boston. We did like a group presentation and like a panel discussion. And we're actually going to be not presenting together, but going to St. Louis Design Week. And uh, we're going to be doing a, a portfolio review. And he's doing a talk in the beginning of October. So looking forward to that. So he's been a, a really great influence on that. Uh, as far as reading, me personally, I tend to avoid design-centric publications. Not that I don't think that they have a ton of value. In fact, I probably could stand to be a little less avoidant of them. But uh, I'm always trying to seek my inspiration and guidance elsewhere. I've done martial arts for a long time, so Ooh. I like a lot of uh, a lot of uh, like Eastern philosophy. And one of the books that I'm reading right now is called Trying Not to Try. And I'll tell you who the author of that is in a second here because I don't remember the author, but I can search it on my computer. Edward Slingerland. And uh, it's a really great book. And it's, it's uh, all about trying to not try and learning to be spontaneous. And there's some like modern neurological research and connecting it with Taoism and stuff. It's, it's a really fascinating read. And, you know, especially as we're trying to do these workshops on risk taking and, you know, the way in which we approach our business and trying to have this, the energy of spontaneity, I found that to be a really fantastic book. Nice. Nice. But, and uh, by the way, I do martial arts since I was like 80 years old. Oh, nice. So, and uh, yeah, I was back east traveling for a long time. I did some uh, Shaolin Kung Fu in China for like a month. That's awesome. Um, so, so I'm really into also all of the Eastern philosophy. And by the way, have you guys heard of um, Zen Habits, uh, like Leo Babota and the Zen Habits book? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I just got that in my mail like the other day. So now I just started reading it, but it's also, it seems like an amazing book. So if anybody out there, I can plug it. It's like, it's really an amazing book. Uh, like it seems from the first, you know, I don't know, like uh, just looking at the preface and the first couple of chapters, but still. <laughs> right well i feel like you and brian have a future podcast episode in mind all on martial arts if you get brian started on that it may be like the longest podcast in history <laughs> yeah, yeah if you, um, you were worried about this being an eight-hour podcast just you wait yeah. my friend <laughs> i think it could it could start with martial arts and then end on what's your favorite chinese food uh it's just i, I could see that going on forever i would do that i would do that brian you're on man. <laughs> all right also, you should note that with Brian being the martial artist and me not, it's kind of a weird juxtaposition that he's also the good cop. <laughs> Sometimes people don't pick up on that. But, you know, Brian's a lethal weapon, <laughs> but he's also a silent killer. Um, uh, I'm a lot more vocal and I'm not afraid to tell you when you suck. <laughs> and I think that's, that's how you get the bad cop moniker. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I'm also like kind of the good cop. No, David? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, <laughs> I, I certainly, I certainly don't look like someone who's done martial arts ever in his life. So... When people look at me, they look, they see a nerd. And <laughs> I was, I, I got the, people call me the bully's worst nightmare because I just looked like someone that people could bully with, but they really couldn't. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what people call, call me, the like bully's nightmare. So, mm -hmm. and, and by people, he okay. means his mother, his mother and his grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. Yes. You caught me on that one. Um <laughs> So, all right. Brian, do you have any more uh, books or, or like sources or we move on to Jason? Uh, let's go on to Jason. I'm, I'm fresh out. All right, cool. 
Yeah, I, I think James Victoria, obviously, is a, a mentor and a friend of mine. He's been a, a huge voice of inspiration and someone who's kind of shown me an alternate path to, to doing things in a different way, in a way that uh, tends to touch more on fulfillment for myself. And in that way, he's been a big influence. But other things that I'm very much interested in, kind of nerding out in design history or art history, those are places that I find a lot of passion of mine. I pour a lot of that into that. And to finding, Brian could probably speak to this too, is, you know, I'm, I'm big into like these old books full of really shitty clip art and the things like that. I'm always looking for those. I try to keep a private collection of that crap. You know, that's, that's kind of like my special thing that I, I kind of keep to myself. I don't publicly put anything out there about it. And uh, I just really enjoy, I, I enjoy the artifacts themselves. Books that I'm reading, you know, do I listen to other people, what, what they have to say? You know, I'm always interested. I'll, I'll hear you out. Um, if I if I see the internet moving in one direction, I'm at least curious. I'll peek in there. But uh, I am always with criticism, and I, I always I'm, I'm willing to take a look at it. But I, I'm not technically following any one person, or or you know, I don't prescribe to any one direction. So all right, that's the lamest answer no, I can no, give it's you. Great, it's great. All right, cool. Um, yeah. So uh, D. Yeah, so guys, it's been really awesome talking to you and thank you so much for joining us on here. I think what you guys are doing is so inspiring, you know, for Sagi and I and, and really for everyone else uh, who's listening now. You know, you've taken a, a business and really have awesome core values and just reading your pledge. I mean, you know, so really so inspiring. So thank you again. Yeah, thank you for having us. And just want to mention for anyone who's interested in buying something on the store, uh, you guys have a discount code for listeners, right? Yeah, so for anyone listening, we have a discount code. If it's hacking UI, and we're going to give you 10% off your purchase. All right, awesome. so you guys heard it. Go rush to the store right now and buy whatever you can. The stuff is amazing. <laughs> buy everything, yes. <laughs> buy it all. So, Brian, Jason, thank you so much. Again, like David said, you guys were inspiring. You are inspiring. All you're doing in the world is impactful on people, and you guys being able to make a living out of influencing people's lives is an awesome thing and we are honored and humbled to have you on our show thank you so, thank, thank you, you very much and yeah it was a pleasure talking to you i hope uh, brian will have that follow-up one day about martial arts hey man <laughs> any, any, any time day or night you want to talk at three o'clock in the morning eastern standard i'm good to go <laughs> all right oh i'll let you two hash that right. out <laughs> sparta. sparta all right guys thanks so much thank, thank you, you. Guys. have a great day bye bye-bye Hey everyone, Sagi and David here. Hope you enjoyed this episode and were inspired by that awesome story of side project success. If that made you think of your own side project, then we have something we want to share with you. That's right. We are soon launching the second batch of the Side Project Accelerator, which is our very own program where we teach everything we learned while growing Hacking UI from a side project into a full-time gig that allowed us to quit our jobs. The Side Project Accelerator is an online program which includes recorded lessons, live stream sessions with the most successful side project entrepreneurs in the world, and access to a community that will hold you accountable for getting your shit out the door. But the program doesn't end there. Yeah, when we say community, we mean you're going to become a member for life of a small but tight-knit and extremely active mastermind group of other side project entrepreneurs that will share tips, ideas, and provide the support needed for you to succeed. The Side Project Accelerator is entirely online, so you can join from anywhere in the world, and all live sessions are recorded so you can watch or listen at your own schedule. If you're asking yourself, is this for me? Then I want to give you a little bit of direction. The Side Project Accelerator is perfect for designers, developers, and others in tech-related fields. You don't have to be a rockstar coder or designer, but we will push you out of your comfort zone, and you can't be afraid to get your hands dirty. 
Also, you don't have to have an idea for a specific side project in order to join. And if you are already working on a side project but haven't yet figured out how to scale and monetize it, then the Side Project Accelerator is perfect for you. You can learn more about the Side Project Accelerator at hackingui.com slash sideprojects. And since you're listening to our podcast and we really appreciate your support, you can get $100 off the price of the Side Project Accelerator by entering the discount code PODCAST at checkout. Now, registration is not open yet, but will open in a few weeks, and spots are extremely limited and we expect it to sell out quickly. You can join the waiting list to be notified when registration opens, and when it does, you'll be able to use that promo code to get $100 off for the next batch. So again, that's hackingui.com slash sideprojects, and you'll be able to use the code PODCAST, just the word PODCAST, to get $100 off signing up when registration opens. so that's a wrap thank you hackers for joining us today we hope you enjoyed the show you can find all the links and resources from this conversation on hackingui.com slash podcast and just before we go we want to share with you something that you might find useful as you know we are voracious readers and consume a ton of articles books podcasts and videos about design development and side projects we curate the hell out of everything and each week we send a short roundup email of our favorites if that sounds like an email you'd enjoy getting then we'd love to have you join our awesome community which already has more than 20,000 happy members from all over the world you can sign up on hackingui.com by the way on hackingui.com you'll also find some other cool stuff like the side project accelerator our eight-week online program in which we teach everything that we learned in the three years working and scaling hacking ui as a side project before we quit our day jobs and you'll also find our resources page which reached top of the week on product hunt tech and our event section which is filled with conferences and meetups for designers and developers hey d don't forget the t's man we also got some cool t-shirts for designers sagi again with the t-shirts Hey, I designed those, but, but really, last thing, if you enjoyed this, we would really love to hear from you, either by tweeting at us at HackingUI or by reviewing the podcast on iTunes. Those reviews really go a long way and help us and even make our day. Hey everybody, what's up? So if you enjoyed this episode, I'm very happy and you're welcome to listen to the rest of the episodes of the Hacking UI podcast. I just want to let you know that this is a legacy podcast, meaning David and I are no longer creating new episodes for this specific podcast. David and I are working on different businesses now. So I just wanted to let you know that first of all, if you want to catch David, you can check out Thought Leaders and that's what he's working on, thoughtleaders.io. And if you want to check out what I'm working on, I have a new podcast. It's called Creativepreneur, the Creativepreneur Show with Sagi Schreiber. And you would be able to find that on iTunes and any podcast app. And I would invite you to come and listen. And that's where I interview people that have built a lifestyle business out of their skills and passions. It's amazing. I interview so many different people that have amazing stories and will help you with your business, will help you with your skills, taking your skills to the next level and achieving higher goals. So if you're interested in that, I'm there, The Creativepreneur Show, and you can check it out also on YouTube. And you can also just go to creativepreneurmagazine.com or creativepreneur.show. I hope to see you around.